This is episode 81 of The Creative Giant Show. I'm Charlie Gilkey. Thanks so much for joining me today. A recent UN report showed that out of the world's estimated 7 billion people, 6 billion have access to mobile phones, but only 4.5 billion have access to working toilets. Yes, you heard that correctly. More people have access to cell phones than have access to working toilets. This is a global crisis we don't like to talk about, but it has a disproportionate effect on the advancement of women in developing nations. Jasmine Burton joins me today to discuss this and her social impact startup, Wish for Wash, that's designing toilets specifically for communities that don't have access to them. Ready? Let's do this. Welcome to the Creative Giant Show, where we go behind the scenes about what it means to live a life full of creative and professional success. Creative giants are talented, renaissance souls with a compassion-fueled bias towards action. Now, here is your host, Charlie Gilkey. Hello, Creative Giants. I'm excited to introduce you to Jasmine Burton. Jasmine was born and raised in Dunwoody, Georgia. In 2014, her senior design team won the Georgia Tech InVenture Prize Competition, the largest undergraduate invention competition in the United States, for the design of an inexpensive mobile toilet, Safe as You. Before graduating from Georgia Tech's industrial design program, she participated in the Georgia Tech Women's Leadership Conference, the CDC's Summer Public Health Scholars Program, Humanity in Action Fellowship, and industrial design studio classes that emphasized ethnography and social impact work. She hopes to improve women's health via redesigning water, sanitation, and hygiene infrastructure, which is why she founded Wish for Wash, a social impact startup that seeks to bring innovation to sanitation. Over the next year, Jasmine is serving as a Global Health Corps Fellow in Lusaka, Zambia, working as a design specialist at the Society for Family Health. Jasmine identifies as a humanitarian design activist and, ultimately, seeks to use her creativity to make the world smile. Jasmine, thanks so much for joining me today. Um, I'm excited to talk about this because, you know, of all the things that, that we can do in the world, really helping people get toilets is not something that, you know, we, we necessarily, you know, um, go to kindergarten and say, hey, that's what I want to do when I grow up. But it's so critical. So thanks so much for the work you're doing in the world. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate your time and support. This is awesome. <laughs> Alrighty, so um, tell us a little bit about Wish for Wash and um, how you slid into it. So how do you end up from Georgia to Zambia, right, um, and, and <laughs> founding a startup um, helping um, people get toilets? So just kind of walk us through that a little bit. Yeah. Um, so I went to Georgia Tech for my undergraduate degree. Um, I got a degree in product design um, and I've always been interested in being a creative professional. Um, and so I was a freshman and I was like, you know, exploring what, you know, product design actually means. Um, and so I went to a conference and, you know, I was listening to a speaker talk and she was saying, you know, half the world doesn't have access to toilets and how that really hinders women in a lot of communities from advancing in their careers, going to school. And for me, this was like a really cool opportunity to use creative professionalism in like the social impact humanitarian way. Um, so I was 18 uh, and I went to this conference and I called my mom and I was crying and I was like, I'm going to design toilets. Um, so it was like a very like aha moment for me. Um, that was also kind of like one of those moments that, you know, people in my communities of support were kind of like, like, oh, this is different. 
Uh, <laughs> but it's been really great to kind of like grow that passion and kind of see it into fruition and uh, learn with the people that have supported me from the beginning. Um, and so in 2013, when I was entering my senior year, uh, we have this uh, interdisciplinary capstone option for product design majors. Uh, and so I entered that class with some engineer friends. And so we decided that we wanted to work on a toilet project. That's really what, you know, what led to Wish for Wash. Uh, we created the first Safi True Toilet Design um, that then went on to win the Georgia Tech uh, Inventure Prize competition, which is the largest undergraduate invention competition in the U.S., which was really cool. We were the first all-female team to do that. Uh, we then went to Kenya that following summer in 2014 with an organization called Sanovation to pilot this design. Again, a really cool opportunity to grow in this field of like creative professionalism in the social impact space because we had to go from like having a cool prototype on stage to actually manufacturing something that people would use. Uh, so then we tested it. And at the end of 2014, I founded Wish for Wash to kind of house the product development. Um, and that's what brought me here to Zambia. I'm actually a part of a Global Health Corps Fellowship. Uh, that brings, you know, people under the age of 30 who are interested in global health work to work in the field to give them the opportunity to grow as leaders in this space. And so, yeah, that's kind of a brief overview of my story. It's been crazy. Every day is um, exciting, never boring. Uh, but yeah, that's me, a toilet designer. <laughs> a toilet designer. Um, again, it's so fun. It's so fun. But um, you kind of glossed over one of the major points that I want to pull out because part of what we talk about on the show is just the the breadth of human experience and not everyone, you know, is a writer in San Francisco, right? That, that's, you know, has a certain way of life. So you, um, you mentioned that half the world does not have access to toilets, right? And that, um, that impacts women's advancement in society in different ways. Kind of unpack that for us a little bit, just to get, give people who don't know that what, you know, an idea of what that world's like. Definitely, definitely. Um, so yeah, I guess my entry point into, you know, being this toilet person uh, into sanitation work uh, was the realization that 2.5 billion people don't have access to hygienic or safe sanitation, which means that they're practicing open defecation or going to the bathroom outside in public, uh, which has a host of, you know, both physical and mental, um, you know, complications that come with that. Uh, as well as, um, you know, some people have access to, to toilets, uh, which could be like a bucket or like a bag that they, you know, more or less poop in and then they throw it. So there's a lot of um, waste management um, problems and gaps that exist currently, which seems so bizarre um, coming from the Western world where, you know, there's so much technological advancement and creativity in terms of advancing the human experience. Um, and, you know, you can even see it in, in developing contexts as well. Like, you know, in a lot of the communities that we work with, people have cell phones, they're WhatsApping me, they're on Facebook. Um, so it's kind of this, this gap in terms of value. Uh, people value this like sense of like global connectivity, which is really cool and really awesome. But you kind of, you know, gloss over this, this, these basic needs. Um, you don't really see that as like, uh, something that you need to invest money in, uh, especially sanitation. It's kind of hard to uh, you know, talk about in a lot of contexts because it's like very taboo. And then also it's just hard to kind of show the, the health benefits, you know, at least for food, like people understand the direct value of food because you need it every single day and you can understand if your food is, you know, not to the best quality, you understand that that will make you sick. And that's easy to prove, you know, beyond cultural barriers, beyond language barriers and all these things. Sanitation is not that easy. And I think that's part of the reason why we're in such a, you know, uh, this interesting, like, 
com like complex problem right now is because it's just so hard to communicate. Um, and so that's really part of the huge challenge of, you know, working in the space right now is like, yes, like innovation is needed. Yes, products are needed. Yes, like creativity is needed. But it's also this sense of like, how do you communicate that need? How do you communicate um, or inspire value um, for something that people might not want to spend money for, that they might not see or understand why they need to change their, you know, their behaviors. And so that's kind of the, the, the world that I'm in right now. And it's really kind of cool to see it in real life and interface with people and have these, you know, cool, but like awkward conversations about like, you know, how did you coop today? Like, that's kind of weird, but like, you need to be able to break down those barriers in order to, you know, build up the infrastructure that needs to kind of arise to help, you know, eradicate this problem. So yeah, that's kind of an overview of the sanitation crisis as I see it. Yeah. And so we're in this strange space. I'm going to riff on this a little bit because a lot of people don't necessarily know about, say, Africa's development, but it's also true of Southeast Asia. It's a lot of ways the infrastructure that the West developed from 1850 to about eight to about 1960 kind of did not get developed in some parts of Africa and Southeast Asia. And at the same time with the technological advance, um, it's very, very strange because, as you mentioned, people will be walking around with cell phones, they'll be walking around with computers, um, but they don't have running water and toilets, right? Um, and right. so there's, there's like a, and you know the statistics more than I do, but I just know that there is an advancement where when we look at urban infrastructure or um, when we look at um, those types of infrastructures that allow, um, so we're talking roads, we're talking bridges, we're talking um, water, we're talking actually electricity um, and, and the grid that we know in the West, that does not really exist in Africa in the way, well, it does in some parts, but large swaths of Africa, large swaths of Southeast Asia, they have no grid, you know? Right, right. And I think uh, the cool part about that reality is like, you know, as a designer, like, you know, as a creative, you kind of are trained to look at these challenges as opportunities. So it's like, in a lot of, I, I, in a lot of cases, I would argue that, you know, a lot of the Western technology as it relates to sanitation or just some existing infrastructure um, could use some innovation. And because of existing infrastructure, it kind of is sometimes acts as a burden in, in terms of the ability to create something new and place it just because there's so much that already exists. And so like, while working in these developing contexts, like, you know, it is true. It's hard to go into a context where people don't understand how to use a toilet or they've never seen one. And how do you communicate that? But at the same time, there's so much really cool, like opportunities that come with that, that you could do something completely different. Um, that might be lower cost that might save, you know, more time in manufacturing and all these things. So um, that's one of the things that I'm like a really big, big advocate for more creatives like in this space, because, you know, we're the ones that are pushing, pushing the needle in terms of what's possible in this, this world of challenges. So you mentioned that um, the need, that there could be innovation in Western sanitation. Um, let's unpack that a little bit. What do you mean there? Cause I've never thought about it and you have. So tell me about it. Yeah, no, I mean, I think, um, you know, it, there's nothing, there's nothing wrong, I would say more or less in, in terms of Western sanitation, like it does its job, like a lot of the way that the West views, you know, waste is, you know, you need to just get poop away from people, which is more or less what sanitation is. Like you just need to get poop away from people so it can be healthy. Um, and that's, you know, something that, you know, our flush toilets, the way that, you know, we operate, that's what they do. Um, but there's a lot of really cool opportunity now, especially with all this technological advancement, a lot of stuff that Bill Melinda Gates is doing in terms of waste renewal and how that could, you know, generate jobs and in terms of how it could generate 
um, money. Um, like how can you make waste into, you know, a recycled product into the environment rather than just getting it away from people. And so I do think like there's a lot of really cool innovation that's, you know, going on right now in developing contexts, you know, related to, you know, how can you make poop into fertilizer that's like always clean, that's not going to con be contaminated. Like how can you make it into, you know, biogas for electricity or how can you like all these cool opportunities that I think that the way that our infrastructure is set up just doesn't allow for that to happen so rapidly. Um, but I do think that there's a lot of opportunity because, you know, poop is something that can be reused. Um, it is disgusting when, you know, as it is, but like if you can repurpose it, it does have value that, you know, can be repurposed into the community. So I think that that's something that's really cool that's happening in developing context right now. Fantastic. So, um, Explain, if you can, the product, because, you know, when we think of a toilet, we think of, you know, the sort of porcelain thing that's hooked up to the plumbing, you push the button, it flushes, everybody's happy, right? Um, I don't think that's what you're designing. Um, <laughs> so kind of explain what the product is and how it works. Yeah, so um, I guess kind of going back to what I was just mentioning, um, there's something that's called the sanitation value chain. Um, and basically, it just kind of takes you through the process of what's needed in order to have, you know, this, this aspirational sanitation experience. Um, and so it starts off with what's called capture. So you need to capture the waste into some sort of, you know, concealed container that's away from people. And then it can be transported um, in some sort of concealed manner. And then it can be either repurposed or disposed of in a safe, hygienic way. Um, and so that's kind of a, like an overview of what the sanitation value chain looks like. And um, kind of, again, what I just mentioned, like a lot of existing work is being done around waste renewal because that is, you know, seen as a really profitable area to be in right now, just because like, if you can figure out how to safely make poop into some sort of like, you know, clean water, energy, all these things, like there's a lot of money in that. And so I think like that is where a lot of people are interested in focusing right now. And so for us, we're really kind of looking at the opposite end of the value chain right now because, you know, while there's really cool stuff happening with race, waste um, management, people are still pooping on the ground, right? And it's still getting into the water. It's still like, you know, kids can like touch it and eat it and it, it's disgusting. And it's like, how can you put these waste management, you know, innovations into practice if you, there's no like systemized way of capturing it. Um, and that kind of goes into this, the social stuff that I was talking about earlier too. Like if people don't understand how to use a toilet, they're going to be like, I don't need to spend money on it. I don't want to do this. this is too complicated. Um, so we're really focused on like the social, like the user experience interface part. Um, and so with that, We've kind of designed and we're testing right now to see how this works in the field, um, this modular concept of a toilet. So it's uh, container based, um, which means that it just goes into to a holding unit, uh, but uh, you can either choose to sit or squat. So it's kind of depending on preference, kind of depending on ability, age, all these things. Um, you can choose like if you want to practice traditional squatting posture, you can sit in a squatting position or you can kind of raise up the seat um, so that you're sitting in like a traditional like Western style sit toilet. Um, we also are in the process of iterating and testing this uh, like a manual bidet kind of concept, mm -hmm. um, which is cool for, you know, communities that practice washing rather than wiping. Like how can we make that a more hygienic process? Because in a lot of communities, that's not very, you know, hygienic at the way that it's being practiced right now. Um, so we're really, what we're calling it is like kind of like a toolbox of options. So it's kind of gives 
the user the ability to be like, okay, these are these are the things that I can choose from, and this is what makes most sense to me, and so I'm going to use it this way. But it's still being done in a hygienic, safe way that then can be collected, treated, or hooked up to any sort of waste management system that exists within the community. Um, so we're working with a or with an organization called Water and Sanitation for the Urban Poor, um, and they're doing really cool work with um, fecal sludge management, which. <laughs> That phrase is always really disgusting, <laughs> but that is what it's called. That's what it is. <laughs> yeah, so um, they're, they're really great. And so it's, um, it's great to kind of, you know, partner with people that are doing great work on the other side of the value chain so we can, you know, work together towards a common goal rather than, you know, reinventing the wheel and trying to do everything ourselves. Um, so that's really kind of what we're testing right now while I'm living here in Zambia. We're having a beta pilot for this concept and you know if things go well we're looking at how we can scale what that would look like in terms of like who pays who you know is the the end consumer there's a lot of like complex stakeholders that exist like in this kind of way of thinking um but yeah that's that's more or less what we're, what we're doing right now so what are the biggest challenges that you're facing uh facing in wish for wash um so i think the biggest challenges um are really related to uh okay accessibility in terms of of manufacturing um so we're a young organization we all or mostly all are from georgia tech a lot of people have great ideas that we want to test and learn from and iterate and change and rapidly grow um, but just the barrier to entry in terms of manufacturing is just so it's so high um, it's just so costly to make a product especially a big one that's like, you know, someone has to sit on it, so it needs to be big enough for people to sit on. Um, so 3D printing is really great. Um, it's really expensive sometimes. Um, CNC, rapid prototyping technologies, they're really great. And compared to, you know, large-scale manufacturing processes like rotational molding or injection molding, they're a lot cheaper, but, like, there's still this, like, gap. There's a gap, like, of, of how fast that we can, we can, you know, get the feedback and then change and implement the changes and get the, you know, the human-centered design practices that, you know, we're all trying to, to strive for. Um, so I do think that that's been a really big challenge in terms of funding, in terms of, you know, time, in terms of, you know, partnerships, like who can we work with that's going to help us get what we're trying to get and the feedback that we need uh, within our budget, within the, you know, that can ship within the, this time frame. So I do think, like, again, like I just graduated Georgia Tech uh, a year and a half ago. So recently out of undergrad, um, having all these like major like life learnings about what it actually takes to get a product or idea into reality. Um, and I do think that that has been one. Yeah. Well, and I'm going to slide this in there. I, I normally don't comment on people's age, right? Cause it's, you know, it's rude in some places, but um, I just want to pull out that Jasmine is currently 24. Right. And, and has a startup in Africa um, and so I just want to put that out because it's always good to see um, young entrepreneurs. And it's always good to see younger people um, out and doing things, right? And so I wanted to showcase that. And um, you're handling complex challenges um, in, in a place that many of us can't imagine. So I'm just so proud of you for doing that. Um, so I just want to thank see, you. Yeah. So per unit, how much are we um, talking about that it costs per toilet that you're making? 
So that is a fantastic question that kind of goes back to my previous response in terms of manufacturing challenges. Like we do have goals. Like ideally we would like it to be, you know, under $50 per unit if we can get everything, you know, compact. Ideally, like ideal, ideal would be under $20. So we have like all these set, you know, this is what we're striving for, but it really costs us so dependent on manufacturing and scale. Um, and so we're, since we're not at that, you know, thousands of unit, you know, investment right now, it's really hard for us to navigate what cost is going to look like in terms of like the actual, you know, the actual product. And then also another added, you know, complexity to that is in the communities that we're working in, we're working primarily with people who don't have a large income to begin with. So it's like, how can we, like, how, how does that affect costs at some point? Like, is there going to be a subsidy somewhere? Is there going to be, you know, a way that we can drive down the price even further once we get to the point where we're at scale? And so, yeah, I mean, I, I like to say, like, we have the goals, um, but now that we've been working in this real space of, like, what it actually takes to make a product, um, it's, it's very challenging to say, like, what it actually is right now, um, just because we're constantly changing and we don't really know what it's going to look like in the end after we're done with this, this pilot. So, um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of the, the cost answer right now. <laughs> so, that's a long way to say it depends and I don't know. Right. Right. And that's okay because again, it's, you know, it would be one thing if you were designing toilets in say Georgia, right. Where you had the supply chain, you had the manufacturer, you had the injection molding, you had all of that sort of stuff, but you're in Zambia right now. Right. Um, and okay. it's different. <laughs> it's, it's different. Yes. Let's just put it yes. that way. Yes. Um, and you kind of commented on it. Like is, I was, I was wondering who the customer of the toilet was actually going to be. Is it going to be schools? Is it going to be towns? Is it going to be municipalities, individuals, so on and so forth? Because on the one hand, like phones, here's, here's a really interesting thing because they're probably spending more for phones, right. right? But they value the phones and the connectedness more so than they value the toilets. And so that's got to be a frustrating experience for you, right? Right, right. And so it's definitely been one that we are navigating as well in terms of like, you know, our pilot right now, we're working in communities in peri-urban communities in Zambia. So um, that's kind of, you know, the, the population that we're learning more about in terms of like their cost of living, like how much people are making, what they're willing to pay money for um, and working with water and sanitation for the urban poor and their team here in Zambia, they're very knowledgeable about what that cost structure will look like. Um, so that's been really helpful for us. Um, I think ideally, we're, we're really looking at um, partnering with existing large international NGOs and having them be the key customer and then having the end users be the people who are actually using them. And this is primarily because our ideal goal would be to one day design toilets that are being implemented in refugee camps or refugee communities um, just because that is becoming like a huge reality in like so many parts of the world. Um, sanitation is like becoming a huge, huge problem within these contexts because it's just so hard to control and it's, you know, large scale populations are just popping up overnight. And so it's like, how can we get something that can be distributed quickly, that's used by people, that's understood quickly, that's low cost. So there's lots of, lots of things that we're looking at but I think that that would be an ideal goal for us. And that's why, you know, in terms of customer, we're kind of looking at what, what would it take to, to have like someone like care or, you know, these, these large NGOs be an end customer that would help distribute to the end users. Um, so that's kind of what we're looking at right now and kind of learning what, what those stakeholder needs are. Okay. So um, 
it's going to be the dumb question, but these toilets are reusable, correct? Like once they're in place, they can be moved and, you know, things like that, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. Um, sorry, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, military logistics backgrounds and how it handled that, but that's not, that's your problem to solve, not mine. Um, so, um, so you, you mentioned, um, you know, that manufacturing is, is one of the biggest challenges that you're facing right now, right? Um, what are some of the other challenges that, that you might want to like just share with us for people who might be listening to this and thinking about either getting involved or just um, curious about getting involved? Because, you know, we need more attention on issues like this around the world. Right, right. And I, I think um, kind of going back to like age and experience wise, um, like coming right out of undergrad as like a young creative professional, like you have like bright eyes, bushy tail, and you're like, I want to change the world. Um, and it's so much harder. And I'm like just learning the patience and learning, <laughs> learning that things don't go as quickly as you want them to go, um, especially now that you know we've expanded or kind of my role has expanded from just being a product designer to being like you know this project manager that's you know navigating different sectors like how do we get the business people on our team communicating with the manufacturers in an effective way as well as cultural challenges right so like when i say something to some people in zambia it sometimes has a totally different meaning um so kind of learning what that you know how to communicate effectively to all people um, the, the rapid iterations and prototyping that I came into thinking that it was going to be so quick, um, really is not, it's not quick at all. Um, and kind of learning that that's part of the process and it's all kind of about small steps that eventually are big steps that eventually make change. And I think, um, learning that patience has been a really big part of my process and growth. Um, just because, you know, I came into it with all these big goals that I want to implement immediately and just realizing that that's a lot of times not how things operate when you're working in a multi-sector, multicultural, like interdisciplinary team. Um, and so, yeah, that's been a big struggle, but a really, I think, positive one in terms of my professional development. <laughs> yeah, you learn very quickly that it's a marathon, right? It's not a sprint. And right. you know, it's like, I think this is going to take a week and you kind of factor that, okay, that's going to take a quarter, right? right. <laughs> <laughs> And so, and yeah, that's just part of it. Right. And, you know, I think that experience Jasmine is so, so familiar amongst all creatives and entrepreneurs as well as like, we think that things should happen so quickly, you know, um, you're not just selling a product, right. You're not just selling a toilet, right. You're selling a, um, actually a mindset about sanitation that, that, and the toilet at the same time. So you got to get people to buy two things. Right. Um, and, um, there's, you know, convincing people to buy something when it doesn't really feel broke. Um, there's a current situation doesn't feel broke. is super challenging to do. So, um, keep up the good fight there. Cause it's, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and, and so when I was deployed in 2004, 2005, and we had a lot of, um, we had a lot of people that were in, um, from developing nations that were drivers in some of our civilian contractors. And, you know, I experienced firsthand some of these issues around sanitation and practices and things like that. And I was like, Ooh, um, that's a challenge. So that's one of the reasons when I saw you pop up, I was like, we're going to talk about that because it's just something that we don't think about a lot over on the side of the world, you know? Right. Right. Definitely. And I know, um, we've been in touch with and communicated some with, um, people who have experienced it, uh, 
in a military context and kind of what sanitation would look like in that, you know, arena as well. Um, and I think, you know, long term, like if this, if Wish for Wash, you know, has many different product lines, like that would definitely be something that I would love to explore further just because I do think there are a lot of similarities in terms of the, the multicultural usage of a toilet. And, you know, some people are automatically going to stand on a toilet because they think it's a squat toilet and then it breaks and then there's poop everywhere. And it's like, how do you make it so it's not like that? Um, and it's easy for everyone to use and hygienic and safe and all of these things. Um, so I do, yeah, I do think that there's been um, some talk about in the future one day looking at um, different contexts for, you know, military operations, things like that. So, What's your big goal for this year when it comes to Wish for Wash? Like, if you can articulate that, what would that be? Um, okay, so I think uh, we... Okay, so we've, we've gone through a lot. We're finally testing and iterating or hopefully iterating our beta pilot, right? It's finally going in Zambia, um, which has been like a long time coming. Um, so I think coming out of this pilot, I would love to have Wish for Wash, have an understanding about what our core value is to the space. I think that I, I, I think that we do know it, but I think like having data that proves it or having user feedback that proves it and says, Hey, like, you know, depend, you know, no matter what culture, no matter what age, no matter what background you come from, like, you know how to use this toilet and this toilet can then be connected to any sort of waste treatment options. Like if that is proven to be true, or if we can work towards that, that would be ideal. And I think that that would be something that then could be repurposed in a lot of different um, communities and areas and different sectors and things like that. Um, so for me, like that's long, like the goal of the year is to get to that point where we can say we're serving the needs of not, not only just the people who are, you know, pooping in the toilets, but the people that are servicing the toilets, people that are buying the toilets, that they're all different people. And how can we improve the user experience of all of them and then hopefully go to scale? So those are the, the, the two, the two points that I'm hoping that we can work towards this year. You know, we talk a lot about the success points and success tripwires, but, um, you know, what data would you need to see or, you know, what have you thought about to, to determine like, this is not working, like the, the, you don't have product market fit as it were with this product. Um, you know, talk to me, talk to us a little bit about that if you would. Yeah. So I guess we've been working with water and sanitation for the urban poor and in developing like monitoring and and evaluating assessment tools. And again, it's like very tricky because in a lot of these communities, people don't necessarily speak in a way that is candid about their experience, especially as it relates to going to the bathroom. So how do we get the exact data that we need? Right now, it is primarily based on assessment, but we are doing community-led assessments. So we're, you know, working with people who are community leaders that then can hopefully get more candid feedback than perhaps me as an American would get. Um, Ideally, one day I would like to, you know, do another assessment and that would be um, using some sort of like technology or data. Um, Because... I do think like that is where, you know, the world is headed, like technology and like um, big data collection and things like that. Um, Right now, that's not something that we have available to us. Um, So we are doing more grassroots, like community led solutions. Um, And then based on what the community leaders tell us, then we can, you know, go back, iterate, change, bring in something new and then see what they say about that. Um, And also getting feedback from not only just the users, but the service providers and the, you know, the stakeholders and things like that. So I think that is our approach right now. One day though, I would like to move into something that is more standardized in terms of like using an app or using a phone or something like that, that could make it so you can collect information more readily. That doesn't necessarily have to be so invasive. Like how was your bathroom experience today? Like talking to some 
person that you just met a few days ago. So I think that would be an ideal way to move in the future. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, is there anything else you would like to share with us about the project as we wrap up? Um, I mean, I guess that, you know, it's, it's a journey for sure. Um, every day has been like a new experience um, and it's incredible to be experiencing it now um, as someone who, you know, was like, one day I'll be an entrepreneur, but, you know, it'll be after I have my career, after I know what I'm doing. And then I kind of found myself here, you know, after college where I realized that I knew nothing really about what I was doing. But, you know, I don't know, I feel like I learn more every day about my own um, capabilities and my ability to learn and my ability to grow as a leader and as a designer. Um, so yeah, I mean, I just empower anyone who's interested in taking that leap of faith to be an entrepreneur to just do it because you know more than you think you do. Fantastic. Is there anything that we listeners um, can do to support the project? Um, so we are like always you know, open to, to support in terms of connections, in, ter in terms of um, donations, any sort of support, really, uh, just conversations. I love talking to people and kind of going back and forth. Brainstorming is great, too. Uh, we're available. We have a website, uh, wishforwash.com. Um, and then I'm readily available on email as well. So, yeah, we're just open to kind of sharing ideas and growing with the community and, you know, learning from what people think about us. Fantastic. Jasmine, I know it's later for you and I appreciate you um, taking time out today um, to talk to us about your project. And again, I'm just so um, proud of you to be out there and, and fighting the good fight. So thank you. Thank you. I appreciate your time and support. All righty. Well, Creative Giants, I hope Jasmine's story and her mission has inspired you. And I think there are three ways that we can think about this episode. One way is just to be grateful that there are young entrepreneurs and young changemakers out there in the world making a difference. Jasmine saw that there were many women around the world who did not have access to a toilet and decided that it was her problem to solve. And that's an amazing thing. Second is to reach out to those people around you who have big dreams of changing the world and inspiring them and reminding them that they too can make a difference. And the third thing is to see how you can use your own creativity to make the world around you better. Until next time, stand tall. Thanks for listening to the Creative Giant Show. To find more tools and inspiration for creative giants, head on over to ProductiveFlourishing.com. Stand tall, Creative Giant.